morning. Hope you're doing well today. The rain is back. Some of you are excited about that. Others of you are normal, and we miss the sun. I miss the sun. It rained so hard last night. The sun will be back in nine months. It'll be good. All right. Uh, before I read our passage, which if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 12. We're, we're, uh, we're finishing up John chapter 12 today. Um, and as you turn there, I'm going to read uh, John 3.17 first. <clears throat> For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We've got to remember that Jesus, he came to save So let's read our passage today, beginning in verse 36 of chapter 12. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I don't know if you heard uh, in the news this week or perhaps on social media about uh, Teddy, I think he pronounced his last name, Manzini, a uh, six-year-old boy, uh, had his birthday this last weekend. Um, and uh, his parents planned a party for him, um, and they invited the, whole, the whole, whole class, his whole kindergarten class, all 32 kids. Here's Teddy at his birthday party. It looks like kind of a Chuck E. Cheese type place. Well, you can see the table is set, the pizza's there. But of the 32 kids, no one showed up. No one at all. So sad, huh? Um, I mean, just six years old, my, my guess is he'll probably remember this. Like maybe he's young enough that he maybe he won't. But so sad, right? The, the scene was set for him to celebrate his birthday with a bunch of friends from school. Maybe you don't expect all 32 to show up, but, but certainly some would show up. So mom, mom takes this picture, she took a few and posted them. They, they blew up on social media, went viral. News agencies got a hold of it, and uh, it, was, it was on their local news, and it was, it was even on some national news, but really, really sad. One little glimmer of uh, good news is this is the Phoenix Suns, the NBA team down there, saw this on social media, they heard about the story, they said, hey, 
we're going to celebrate your birthday. Come to the game Wednesday night. So whole family got to go to the game. It's Phoenix Suns, but you know, he, maybe, maybe he likes them. Who knows? Um, he probably does. Uh, anyway, o- over and over again in John, uh, I feel kind of this way. Uh, like it, it, it's set for Jesus to be seen rightly, for, for Jesus to be celebrated. And, and, and there are times where it looks in John like Jesus is, is gaining traction with the people, his, his own people, the Jewish people, right? Just a couple weeks ago, we were reading early in chapter 12, the triumphal entry, and Jesus is riding, riding through town, and they are shouting praises at him. They're, they're waving the palm branches. They, it looks like they are, are ready for him to be their king, and yet over and over again in this book, we, we see that, that when it seems like they're close, then almost none of, almost none of them actually believe in Jesus. In this, this passage today uh, can feel dire. I think it does feel dire. Uh, it feels sad, like Teddy on his birthday. Let's, let's get rid of that picture. It's so sad, actually. Um, like Teddy on his birthday. Uh, but there's really good news in this passage. As always with Jesus, as always as we hear the gospel, there's good news. John told us that it would be this way, as Sherry read earlier in chapter 1, verse 11. John said, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And it's, it is sad news that the Israelites, most of them rejected Jesus, that they had hard hearts, that they had blind eyes to see who Jesus really was, but God uses that. It leads Jesus to the cross so that others can hear the words of Jesus, the words of eternal life. And that is really, really good news for the whole world. Let's get in our passage here. Verse 36, and we ended on this verse last week, but we kind of have to begin on it as well. While you have the light, this is Jesus speaking, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So the public ministry of Jesus is drawing to a close after this chapter. After this chapter, really until his trial, he, he devotes himself to his disciples. But Jesus here, he urges them, he urges the Jews, believe, believe in the light, and, and, and then he leaves. And it's like an acted out parable. Right? There will be a time when, when it is too late to confess Jesus as Lord. There will be a time when it's too late to be saved by belief in Jesus. Our truth statement for today is, though many won't believe, Jesus calls people to trust in him as he reveals the Father who gave him the words of eternal life. Right? Most won't believe, but Jesus calls people to trust in him. He's revealing the Father to us who's given him the very words of eternal life. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe. And we've read about the miracles in this book, right? We've read miracle after miracle. People saw not only the miracles that Jesus did, but they heard the words that he spoke, right? They heard Jesus teach. And maybe, uh, maybe you're like me and you've, you've, you've wished that, man, if I just could have been there to hear Jesus, or if I could have seen, if I could have seen even just one of the miracles, how much stronger would my faith be? Or maybe you've wished that for a person in your life that, that doesn't trust Jesus. You think that if they could only have heard from Jesus himself, if, if they could have seen Jesus, then maybe, maybe they would believe. And yet, we read this gospel and the other gospels, 
And so many people that were eyewitnesses to Jesus reject him. They do not believe. Most of the Jewish people, right, God's own people do not respond to Jesus by believing. His own people would not receive him. Belief was not the norm among the Jewish people. Even though they saw the signs, they saw God in the flesh working miracles right in front of their eyes, they wouldn't believe. So how is it that a person could see Jesus, could see God with their own eyes and not believe in him? Well, John explains to some degree this unbelief. He helps us understand how it's possible. On the one hand, again, this is terrible news, and on the other, I find myself really, really grateful. Verse 38 so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So this quote is from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. And when it says the arm of the Lord, this is referring primarily to uh, the miraculous signs that, 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 he did, that God had done. So he, he says, who has believed? Who has believed what, what he's heard from us? So John twice in Isaiah will, or John will quote Isaiah twice in this passage. Two passages that are pretty well known. This first one is from Isaiah 53, and this passage goes on to say, um, describing Jesus, he had no form or majesty that we'd look at him, no beauty that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected. Like we've heard this passage before. We know this passage that no one, no one looked at Jesus. They weren't, they weren't attracted to him as they looked at him. He was humble. He looked like a run-of-the-mill person. There was nothing spectacular about his appearance. It goes on to say in verse 4, Surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. All right, this is good news. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's laid on him our sin. And then we skip down to verse 10. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Our Jesus bore our sins just as he and the Father had planned it. The Lord willed that Jesus be crushed in your place, in my place. Isaiah volunteered to go give this message to the people, God's message. And it sounds like a good gig when he's invited to it. The only problem is God told him a lot of people aren't going to believe. Most people will reject this message. They won't respond well. Most people won't trust God. What an assignment to know that the people are going to reject the message you're bringing straight from God, that, that you will have a massive failure rate. So we, we have Isaiah 53 a description of Jesus, and, and it's not, it doesn't come across as very glorious. It doesn't come across as, uh, as, as exciting and gripping, uh, maybe at first. And he starts off saying, who's believed? Who's believed this message? Has anyone believed? And I'm sure for Isaiah it was crushing to go and tell Israel, God's own people, and, and them reject over and over again. Isaiah's experience was a lot like Jesus' experience. Very few people responded by believing the word of God. Most of the Israelites rejected the gift of salvation. Most refused to believe the gospel. So how can this be? Because if one of us were to go out and tell people about Jesus, and that person doesn't believe, we might not be that surprised. We, 
we probably wouldn't be that surprised. As Christians, we're surprised when someone, and we get excited when we tell someone about Jesus and they accept it, right? They accept the gospel and respond. We smile. Some of you are smiling right now just thinking about it. We're not that shocked when people don't respond well. But how is it that Jesus, God in the flesh, was, was rejected? This would be a surprising thing if you didn't know the story. Verse 39 it says, therefore, they could not believe for, Isaiah said, and, and he again is going to quote Isaiah. This is from chapter 6, what's coming up here, verse 10. In the context, again, this is a passage that you, if you've been to church much, you've heard this before. Right? This is where Isaiah sees this, this vision of God. Right? There's God surrounded by angels. They're proclaiming his holiness. Isaiah realizes, I'm nothing like God. I'm a sinful man, and he repents. The angel flies over with the coal and cleanses Isaiah from his sin. And then God invites, he says, who, who am I going to send? Who, who will take this message for me? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. So he's, he's commissioned by God. So Isaiah 53, this, this lowly, humble picture. Isaiah 6, this glorious picture of God. So let's look at what he says. Verse 40, this is quoting from Isaiah 6.10. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So why would the people reject the message of salvation? Because they've been blinded to it. Because their hearts have been hardened to it. And that makes sense. That makes sense why people would reject the best news ever. But it says he has blinded their hearts. Who, who's the he in this passage? And this is where I think it can get really hard for us and I encourage you, with this truth, to wrestle through it. Some of you have already wrestled through this in your faith, or maybe today in this sermon, God, God will give you peace in this. Others of you, this is going to stick with you, and it's going to bug you. You might be frustrated. You might be angry at God. You could leave a bad taste in your mouth. And I just want to encourage you, will you continue to wrestle with the Holy Spirit in this? Will you pray the Holy Spirit will teach you in this because the he who's blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts is God. He, he's the one. And, and this isn't the only place in Scripture we, we read things like this. Our Bible read-through friends. We, we, we finished Romans up this week. I don't know who's still with me. Hopefully, hopefully a handful of us at least. The righteous remnant. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> totally joking, but join me in reading the Bible. Um, no, but we read in Romans this, this week, we read about, about the hardening of hearts. We read about Israel's heart being hardened. We read about Pharaoh, right, and how, how Pharaoh hardened his heart, how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And, and, and it's, it's, it's hard. It, it can be hard to read this. Jude, Deuteronomy 29.4 says, But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. So like it or not, the view of the Bible, which is God's word, and it is true, it is right, the view is that God is the one that gives us the ability to understand, the one that, that, that gives us the ability to see God, to believe in the gospel. God makes belief possible, and that is great news, that God has that, that power to, to change our heart, to turn our heart so that we can see him. But it's difficult to take in that God would harden hearts and blind people to truth. Scripture's clear. God does not cause people to sin, and yet he's in control. He's in control even as people do sin, even as people choose evil. We see that God uses the evil actions, the evil intent of hearts, 
Um, and, and, and he uses those for his own good purposes. We, we see this with Pharaoh, like I said, back in Exodus. God, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It says Pharaoh also hardens his own heart, but God uses the heart of Pharaoh, his actions, for his own glory. We see in this very gospel, Judas. Judas was responsible for, for betraying Jesus, and yet we also see that God, God was sovereignly in control of Judas and, and the choices that he made. So God is sovereign in hardening hearts, and though he doesn't cause people to sin, right? and, and, and that people are still responsible for choosing to believe or not to believe, and it, it seems like these things don't add up, and yet they're in Scripture. There's no explanation for how exactly this works. We're just told that this is the way it is. The Bible doesn't try to explain the unexplainable, and that can be frustrating to us. So there are a few things I, I want to help, help you think through with this. The, the first is that God is good. God is good. Do you believe that this morning? Do you, do you trust in God's goodness? Yeah. We, we don't get all the information here. And isn't that how life is? We never have all the information. We get bits and pieces. We see that God's in control, that man's responsible for his choice. And while those two, we, we don't see exactly how they work together, the Bible says they do. So when I don't understand something, when I see that God's done something, I just don't get it, I ask myself, do I trust that God is good? I want to show you a video. Um, it's from a, some talk show. I have no idea what the talk show is. Um, but this guy, this guy's an artist. It's some competition. I didn't watch the whole thing. I just watched this part because it's the cool part. Um, so he just starts painting, and there's some judges here. They're, they're going to judge, like, of all the contestants, like, who's the best one? And, and you can't really tell what he's doing here. And I wonder if you ever feel that way with God. Like, you know, he, he, he's making strokes. He's, he's got a plan, it looks like, but, but you can't make heads or tails of what he's doing. He, he clearly thinks he knows what he's doing here, and yet, like, they can't tell. <laughs> They have no idea what this guy is doing. <laughs> and sometimes it feels this way with God. Like, God, do you really know what you're doing here? Because I wouldn't do it that way. There's no way I would do that. I wouldn't use that color or that stroke. But let's see what happens here as this guy reveals the masterpiece that he's creating. And it will blow your mind. Kind of looks like a, well, I don't even know what it looks like, an upside down pear or something, but orange. So he's done now. And then he does that. Isn't that unbelievable? Like, I watched it over and over again to see if he switched the painting. Because it didn't look like that was even possible. God's in control. God is so good. Do you, do you trust that, that God is good? That God knows what he's doing with every single stroke? He, he's in complete control. And what he's doing is he's, he's making a masterpiece. And that masterpiece will glorify himself. It'll be really good for us. So God is good, and he's in control. second thing I want you to recognize is, 
is that I, uh, Israel's rejection of Jesus opens the door for the rest of the world. And again, Bible read through people. We read that in, in, in Romans 11 this week. If Israel did not reject him, they wouldn't have killed him. If they wouldn't have killed him, he would not have died for our sins. If he didn't die for our sins, there'd be no salvation. You and I would sit here without hope. Romans 11 tells us that because of Israel's rejection, it opened up the door for the Gentiles to believe. That's you and me. Everyone, everyone that wasn't Jewish had an opportunity now to believe. And, and without that, without their rejection, we would sit here without hope. We would remain under the curse of sin. We'd be dead men and women, hoping this life lasts as long as possible because after this life would be eternal torment for us without their rejection. Everything God does is for his glory. And this is, this is a part of his glorious purposes. Part of his hardening of Israel's heart opens the door for us to believe. And that's really, really good news for each of us in here. Because God chose to many of his own people reject him. The opportunity exists for all Gentiles to hear and respond to the gospel. So thank God. Thank God that they rejected him. Third thing. God, as he hardens hearts, as he blinds people, he's not doing that to morally righteous or even morally neutral people. He, he's hardening the hearts of, of sinners. Right? Scripture's clear that none of us are righteous, not one. He doesn't make a good person bad. What he's done is he's hardened the hearts of someone that's already in rebellion against God for his good and glorious purposes. And we're responsible for that, right? Israel is responsible for their unbelief. We are responsible for our unbelief. Verse 37 says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe, right? The expectation was that they would believe, that they would choose. Verse 43, we'll get to this later, but it says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God, right? They were supposed to choose the glory that comes from God. We're responsible for our belief or our unbelief. And last thing I want to point out about this is, is God being in control gives us hope. Right? That might seem like the very problem, that God's in control. He's the one that hardens hearts. But, but the flip side is really good news. If God is not in control, if he was powerless over people's hearts and minds, why would we ever pray? Why would we pray for God to change someone if he was powerless to do so? But God softens hearts. He opens eyes to who he is. He gives people the desire to believe and the ability to believe. And it still might not seem right to you. I, I don't know that I've won you over here. One thing that, that I think we need to consider is, is our view of God elevated or is our view of man elevated? I'm sure you've heard the question, how can God send people to hell, right? God's supposed to be loving. How can he send people to hell? And on the surface, that seems like a pretty fair question. But what's behind the question Behind that question is a sense that, that a person or, or we do not deserve hell, that we do not deserve judgment. So let, let's take this on an earthly level. If we're talking about a judge in a courtroom, and if someone said to you, how can a judge send criminals to jail? You'd look at that person and, and say, well, that's his job. Like, they're the ones in our society that they've been given the role of deciding if, if people go to prison or not. So a question that would make more sense would be how could a judge pardon criminals and not punish them? How could a, how could a good judge do that? So back to how can a loving God send people to hell, the question that makes more sense is how can a perfectly just God, 
a fair God who is the judge save anyone from the judgment that they deserve. And my guess is probably all of us here today acknowledge that people are sinful. We're, we're all sinful, but it's easy for us to think that we're not that bad. Right? That's the message of the world. We're not that bad. We're certainly not bad enough for hell. That hell is really just for the people who've done the most atrocious sins, for the murderers, the thieves, the liars, the cheaters, the con artists. But this view thinks that humanity isn't that far off from the holiness of God. They don't see God like Isaiah did in chapter 6. Fortunately, Scripture sees it rightly. It sees it differently, that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So Scripture doesn't ask the question, how can God send people to hell? Scripture asks the question, how is it that a perfectly just God, a holy God, can save people from hell? How can God be so loving that he would send his only son to be the propitiation, the wrath-satisfying sacrifice? How can Jesus love us so much that on the cross he took on our sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. One theology professor said it this way. He said, on the cross, Jesus became the con artist, the murderer, the liar, the thief, the cheater, and the gossip. So scripture asks, how is that possible? How could God's love be so great that he would take on our sin as if it were his own? So over and over again, when we find that we don't agree with Scripture, we've got to ask, who's right? Am I right or Scripture right? Do we think that the Bible got it wrong? I encourage you to wrestle through this. Even if you have peace with this, if you do share Jesus, there are going to be people that don't have peace with this, and you have the opportunity to help them with this. We've got to keep going here in our passage. Verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him, right? So Isaiah saw Jesus pre-incarnate, Jesus before he came in the flesh. Verse 42, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So there were some religious leaders that we read about that, that did openly publicly align themselves with Jesus. Nicodemus is, is one that we think of, but most of the authorities that had some belief in Jesus, John tells us it was in secret. They had a hidden faith that was underground, not because they would die, but because they'd be put out of the synagogue. And it's hard for us, I think, to comprehend, put out of the synagogue, like, is that really that big of a deal? Like, if we put you out of harvest, right, like we gave the greeters a picture of you and said, don't let this person in, that'd be a bummer, right? It'd be pretty weird. Um, you might be a little bit embarrassed. Your friends are here, but there's a lot of churches that you could go to. You could find a place to have community, to participate in. Getting put out of the synagogue was a much steeper price than that. They'd be giving up their, their place in the community. Their life's work would be gone if they were put out of the synagogue. So while it's easy for us and right for us to say they should have willingly sacrificed that to follow Jesus, that's easier said than done. The cost of following Jesus is your life. So these authorities, they weren't ready to choose Jesus over the life that they had built. Their belief was a secret. And John tells us what he thinks about that secret in verse 43. He says, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So a secret faith, John doesn't think very highly of it. It doesn't cut it. If my faith is a secret, it's because I'm more concerned about the approval of others than the approval of God, and that's a problem. 
So where or with whom are you afraid to let it be known that you trust in Jesus? When could verse 33 be said about you, that that you love the glory of man more than the glory of God? Because these leaders love the glory of man. If you're a people pleaser, I'm guessing that as a Christian, this is something you regularly wrestle with. Recognizing that you need to be a, a God pleaser and not a people pleaser. But these leaders... They wanted the glory from man. They wanted man's approval. So in what ways do you want man's approval rather than God's approval? Who in your life doesn't know about your belief in Jesus and why? Like what's holding you back from sharing that? Loving God, loving God's glory is what leads to life. We come to verse 44, and, and it suddenly reads, Jesus cried out. And what's strange is there's no, there's no setting here. There's no context. Like, we don't know where John is. We don't know who he's speaking to. Uh, every other time I can think of in John, he, he sets the, the, the stage for us. But here, verse 44, it says, And Jesus cried out. And what scholars believe is that these are, these are summary words of, of Jesus' public ministry. Right? Like I said earlier, after chapter 12, public ministry is, is done. So these words, they don't need a setting. They don't have a particular audience. They stand as is. This is what Jesus says. He says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. You could paraphrase that. When someone believes in me, they do not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me, in the Father. And this is something that this has been a reoccurring theme in John. We've heard this over and over again, that believing in Jesus is believing in God, or or the flip side of that, rejecting Jesus is a rejection of God himself. So this message flies right in the face of the Jewish people that that pride themselves, they pride themselves in believing in Yahweh, that they trust in the true God, and his words were a challenge to those who claimed they believed in God but rejected Jesus as the Messiah. To see Jesus was to see God himself. He was the very revelation of God. He revealed God to the people. He said in verse 45, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Verse 46, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And John uses light a lot to talk about Jesus, not just in his gospel, but in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John as well. He uses light over and over again. This is the last time in his gospel he'll, he'll use the word light. The first time was in John 1, 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Right? Jesus, he is this light, this light that has come to shine in the darkness so that those who believe aren't stuck anymore, aren't stuck in, in, in their sin. One writer put it this way. He said, The purpose of Jesus' coming was not for condemnation, but for transformation. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to save. Verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. So he who hears my words and does not keep them. There's a a superficial faith that we've seen in, in this book. As people hear about Jesus, to some degree they believe, but there's no change. They, they don't obey. Their life doesn't change their heart. Their actions don't change. So they, they're not really following Jesus. And those who do not follow Jesus will be judged. 
So a regular question as you read the gospel is, do you want God to be your judge or do you want God to be your savior? Do you want to stand before the Almighty in opposition to you or or do you want him to be the one that is saving you? John wants us to know that all who do not believe, they'll be judged on their own actions. If you don't trust in Jesus, you'll be judged on your own actions. But all who do believe will be saved because they'll be judged on the life of Jesus. The perfect, sinless life that he lived is what they will be credited if they believe. U.S. history class in high school, uh, I was not a good student. Um, That didn't happen until much later in life. Um, U.S. history class, I can't remember if it was junior or senior year, but I was checked out of the class. Like, I did not care at all. Um, and uh, in that class, it, the grade was heavily weighted on tests, right? So if you did great on tests, you were golden in the class. You didn't even have to do the assignments. Well, the first test came, and I did not do well. I'm going to assume I got a C, but that might not be true. I may have done much worse than that. Um, I had a friend in that class named Don. Now, Don was a, a really interesting guy. He still is to this day. He loved history. In particular, he loved the 1920s to the 1940s in America. Um, and part of it was he was obsessed with swing dancing. I don't know if you know what that is, but Don, he was obsessed with it. Like after high school, he, he actually got hired to go around the Pacific Northwest and teach classes because he developed like his own style of swing. At one point in college, he bought a zoot suit, if you know what that is. All right, this is my buddy, okay? This is my buddy, Don. He loved history. During high school, he, he loved swing dance so much that he'd skip class all the time to go dance. He had his portable CD players, what we had back then, nothing Bluetooth, right? He'd set up his thing, he'd start playing music, and girls would just, like, come to him (laughs) and dance with him. It was crazy. You've heard me talk about dancing. I can't dance at all, so that was never never an option for me. But I, I don't know why. I don't know why the school let him do this. He did it in the commons. He did it wherever. Security guards, hey, Don, walked by. They didn't care. So Don would skip class all the time to go do this. Three or four days a week, he'd be gone. But Don never missed test day. He always showed up for the tests. And uh, our teacher, like I said, I was checked out of class. Our teacher was pretty checked out too. I think he was getting pretty close to retirement. And me and some others talked him into letting us take tests in partners, right? So guess who my partner was? (laughs) Don was my partner. So during tests, I was no longer graded or judged based on what I knew. I was judged, I was graded based on what Don knew, and Don got A's, so Greg got A's. (laughs) I did absolutely nothing to deserve those A's, and yet my scores were A's because of Don. So do you want to be credited with the righteousness of Jesus, or do you want to stand on your own? Scripture tells you that you fall so short. And if you heard my story about Don, if you were like a really good student, right, maybe, maybe got straight A's or close to straight A's, my story probably really bugs you. Probably seems like that's not fair. It's not fair that we're credited with Jesus' righteousness. It's not fair at all. We don't deserve it at all. It is really good news that Jesus come in the flesh to die for our sins so that we can be forgiven. It's terrible news if you reject Jesus because judgment is coming your way and without Jesus you stand before God guilty. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John uh, John 12.49 
For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus has not gone rogue. He's not a, 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 a God that's competing with the true God. Jesus has been perfectly obedient to the Father, and he speaks on the authority of the Father. He acts according to the will of the Father because he's been sent by the Father. And his obedience is about to lead him to the cross. John told us that the word became flesh, and he also told us in 129 that that word that became flesh is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus, the word, has spoken the word, the words of eternal life, straight from the Father. And we have to decide, will we believe and be transformed by the word? So what's our response to this passage? The first thing that I think about is, is we have to pray. We have to pray that God would be moving in hearts, that God would, be, would bring people to a place of, of believing, and believing in a way that their life is actually changed, transformed so much that they actually are, are obedient to Christ. So if you want someone to believe, don't passively hope about it. Don't, don't, don't passively wish that that would happen, but actively pray for those people on, on their behalf, that God would light a fire in them. And I hope, that, I hope that more and more we become a church that prays, that prays and prays and prays. There's uh, two apps that I want to tell you about um, for prayer. Like if you, if you just feel like you need some help structuring your prayer life, two apps. Uh, you'll have to write these down. So the first is called the Prayer Mate app, Prayer Mate um, and, and this app is really, it's really simple, but it's really helpful. It's really helped me be organized in, uh, in, in, in how I pray. So it, it gives uh, different categories, or I can even make up my own categories, and I make lists in those. And each day, the, the list, it goes through the different lists that I have. So I've got a list praying for my family. I've got a list praying for church people. I've got a list praying for, for people that I want to share the gospel with. I've got a list praying for my nieces and nephews. It goes on and on. And it's just really helped me become more organized in my prayer. I, I think I, I pray a lot. I pray all throughout my day, but this has been so helpful to, to keep me praying about some of the things that, that I might not remember to pray for at times. So Prayer Made app is good. Another one, I've told you about this before, but this is uh, the Joshua Project app, and their focus is on unreached people groups. So each morning, it will remind you uh, that y you can pray today for an unreached people group, and I'll tell you about that people group, a little brief description, and, and then how to pray for them. So I'd encourage you to download both of those. Um, women in our church, we have a group of women that meets every Tuesday morning. I think it's at 10 o'clock, Moms in Prayer, to, to, pray, uh, to pray for kids, to pray for schools, pray for our, our community. They meet right in the cafe there. Uh, men, we have a prayer group, Saturday mornings, 7 o'clock. Currently, I think it's just two guys. And sometimes it's just one guy because one of them works every other week on Saturday mornings. So uh, men, if you want to get together and, and pray with, uh, with men, it, it's, it's here Saturday morning, 7 o'clock. If you can't get together, right, those times don't work for you, find a prayer partner. Find someone this week and, and, and commit, like, hey, let's commit this day to praying together. Maybe, maybe you're able to get together in person, maybe not, but but. Commit. Have someone that, that you know they're going to ask you if you prayed. You're, you're going to talk about what you prayed about. Because we need to be a, a praying people. God responds to our prayers. He's designed it to work that way. 
Right? Just like I have confidence when I flip a light switch that a light is going to come on, we can have confidence that when we pray, God hears our prayers and he responds to our prayers and his response is absolutely perfect. It might be different than the way we do it, like that picture that he's painting upside down, but it, but it is perfect. Second thing, second response is we need to share. We need to tell people about Jesus. So when is the last time you told someone about Jesus? When's the last time you, you prayed about getting to share with someone about Jesus? Is sharing about Jesus a desire that's on your heart? Right? If you can't think of the last time, or if you realize you, you rarely pray to be able to share Jesus, confess that to God today and, and ask him to change that to you and be obedient to him in that. Because we're told, like, we're the ones. Right? God's church is his vehicle for sharing the gospel and lastly, if you're here, you're hearing about Jesus regularly, and yet you haven't responded to him. You haven't, your life isn't a life of obedience. Man, repent today. Turn to Jesus. Believe in him. Let it be his righteousness that you are judged for, not your own sin. We're lucky that we, in Scripture, we get to see the response of the Pharisees, the response of, of different people whose, whose hearts are hardened. And, and we get to ask ourselves, do I want that to be me? Right? Or, or do I want God to change my heart? Let's pray. God, we, we know you're good, Lord. I, I, think, I think most of us in this room, at least on some level, believe that you are good. Jesus, we, would we trust that more and more? When we come to your word, Lord, and, and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you know, we don't get to see you in the flesh right now, but we have your very words, the words that you intentionally left for us, we have. God, when we come to this book and things are hard, Lord, would we trust in you? Would we know that you are good? Even if we can't make sense of life, Lord, would we put our faith, our hope, in you, Jesus. So much so, God, that we would be a people that are sharing with others about you. Lord, I, I just pray that, that we would have more and more people that get baptized, not because they've been a Christian forever and are finally getting around to being baptized, but because they're new people meeting you, Jesus. New people putting their trust in you, Lord. How would you do that? We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Precious is the flow that